God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Everyone, welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Another week, another conversation about God. I can't wait. Let's get into it. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Hopper Stone to the show. Hopper is a photographer with a vibrant and multidisciplined past. He began his career as a photojournalist, covering international crises in places like Somalia, the Soviet Union, and Cambodia. In 1997, he opted for a safer work environment, began shooting production stills for film and television. He's covered literally hundreds of projects, the least of which, quite possibly, was the film he and I met on in New Orleans, a film that was never officially released called Mardi Gras Spring Break. It doesn't hold up, but somehow my friendship with Hopper did. Welcome to the show, Hopper. <laughs> I was surprised. I didn't know you were going to actually mention that. Oh, come on. I got it. one of those it. projects I usually don't bring up to people who are it's involved. It's terrible. <laughs> Uh, no, you know, it, but it was such a lovely experience to be in. You know, was, we had a great. lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, we had too much fun. It's, it's part of the problem. We were in New Orleans and we were we were all young. But um, no, it was a, just a terror. I mean, the people that were in it were great. Yeah. And, you know, it was it, it had on this, like, if you looked at the the paper before we did it, you thought this could be good. Yeah. And it was all right. Uh, yes. But it didn't make it out. And uh, I, you got to talk about that stuff because that <laughs> stuff is what makes careers really fun. Yes. No. And I also were, I've worked on some wonder. That's, believe it or not, that is not the worst movie I've worked uh, Okay. All right. Oh, God. Not Do you want to tell close. me which one is number one? Um, I would say, I would say it's a movie called Blood Surf. Hmm. A, happy go, a tale about a couple of happy go lucky surfers and a giant saltwater crocodile. Um, and a giant saltwater crocodile. Oh, okay, saltwater what? crocodiles are real. Okay, they're they're yeah. no joke. They're yeah. they're 18, 20 feet long. They are right. crocodiles that live in the ocean, and they are they're vicious. Right. Okay. A saltwater crocodile will. What? Fuck where you was up. this location in in the movie location? Where was it set? Amorphous tropics. Okay, okay. But we shot. Hey, six weeks in the Philippines. Yeah. Come on. That's that's amazing. Oh my god, we had a blast. And a bunch of us actually who worked on that have come out at like our key grip is one of the top TV key grips in Hollywood. Yeah. Our visual effects supervisor has won a couple of Emmys. Oh wow. Um, right. You know, right. Right. I managed to do okay after that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's you've done. Probably, you've done fine. That's it's. It's not even a stoner movie. Like one of those sort of cult classes, like, dude, let's get baked and watch a really terrible movie. No, it's just... It's just like, it, there's no value in how bad it is. It's, it's not just, even bad enough to be like, what, The Room, right, is the, is the classic right. it's bad not like one. The Room or The Leprechaun movies. By the way, I worked on two of The Leprechaun <gasps> oh, movies. Oh, wow, Leprechaun exciting. 5 and Leprechaun 6. Ooh. Thank you very much. How many were there total? Were 5 and 6 the last Well, two? there were 6 with Warwick Davis, and apparently okay. there was another one, which I refuse to acknowledge because Warwick is no longer involved. And if Warwick's not the leprechaun, then no. Yes, that's not right. That's not right. <laughs> you know, it's it's those money corrupting assholes. Exactly. Didn't they couldn't they stop at six? That's exactly it. But yes, leprechaun in the hood, and then leprechaun back to leprechaun the hood. in the hood. Yeah, with iced tea. Oh, how amazing! <laughs> iced tea. Yes. Oh my god, that's good. Yes, um, you should get him on this show because the world according to iced tea is a fascinating place. I'm not sure he'd be willing to come on my show at this point, but if I could, if you have a connection, a deep leprechaun connection to iced tea, I would love to get iced tea I'll on get my, my show. guys on that. Um, okay, man. Yes. So another thing I wanted to mention, actually, this is I, this is the time for mentioning um, fun idiosyncrasies. You are uh, an expert scuba diver. 
Yes. Um, although, you, are you? You're an instructor, aren't you? I am or you ins- were at one I time. I was could an instructor. Be. Um, you could be if you got back into it a little bit. Or I would have to just re up some paperwork. And yeah, yeah, Probably yeah. do you know just some continued education stuff. But yes, I I learned how to dive in 1976. Wow. Um, back so it was a passion early. But yeah, back when it was like legitimately dangerous. Right, yeah, I was going to say, it was like you were probably carrying like Volvos underneath, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like, you know, not everybody, let's put it this way, not everybody you had, had a pressure four, gauge. Yeah, okay. You didn't always have a pressure gauge. You had what's that called a J valve. terrifying. Yeah, and, you know, you had to memorize the U.S. Navy dive table. Wow. Um, you know, wow. which of course was built for Navy SEALs. So right. So people getting bent right and left. Oh, man. You know, yeah, and so finally Patty came up with her own tables and made it a, a significant significantly safer sport. It's actually a little ridiculously safe sport. Yeah. But I've, I've, you know, as the career takes off, um, I've had less and less time. You know, I used to dive. I was a volunteer at the Aquarium of the Pacific in Long Beach. Oh, wow. For seven years. Is that you? Is that mean like you were cleaning and yep. stuff like that? Yep. That's cool, man. Once a week, go in, you would clean, feed the fish, wow. give presentations. Wow, wow. Yeah, it was That's really awesome. fun. And then, you know, work got busy and... All so, that I have not actually been in the water. I'm ashamed to say it has been seven years. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I am nowhere near Hopper's level, but I've had like 25 dives or something. Okay. You know, so I'm an advanced diver. I took my advanced courses, uh, which is which means that I'm uh, that I'm just far outside of having been doing it enough that I always make mistakes still, but mostly right. I correct them very quickly. Exactly. Um, or the instructor can tell me something. I realize what I've done. But you've probably had. I mean, wouldn't you? How many hundreds of dives do you oh, think you've I, done? I, I stopped sort of officially logging, but I probably have 1,500 dives. That is amazing. Yeah, something along 1,500. Those lines. It's so probably. beautiful to be under the water. I want to do it more. It is. I, it is I a will, peaceful place. Yeah, it's so gorgeous. Yes. Uh, it's such a beautiful way to experience the world, man. It is. It is. And it is, it is truly, it is wondrous. It really sure. is. Like, I, you know, my, it's my last stunning. big, amazing dive trip was on the Galapagos Islands. Ugh. And I, I want to do it, obviously. Someday. Oh, it's it. You know, you know that thing where everybody builds something up, and then your expectations get out of control. You're sure. like, it couldn't possibly be. It, no, it really was just as awesome as everybody said it. That's was. amazing, man. And of course, you're like, well, this is a once in a lifetime trip. And as soon as I was done with them, like, I need to do this again. Have you ever been to Sipidon outside of? Uh, but have you heard of Sipidon? Sure, yeah, it's on Malaysia. That in was Malaysia, one that yeah. somehow because I was with the right buddies, uh, we. I was, we were pointed there through oh, yeah. the good graces of my friends. And um, so I, in a relatively early amount of dives, 25 dives or whatever, I have crossed off one of these like top 10 list places. And it was so extraordinary, man. Yeah. I, it's, 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 it would be too diving. boring to talk about it for everybody else, yeah. uh, how beautiful it was. But it was so amazing. Yeah, here for warm water diving, it's just one of the top Places I've actually become a real fan of cold water diving. Oh yeah, cool. I, lo- I love diving in California. I yeah, think it's some of the best diving in the world, but it's cold. Yeah, I got my advanced half uh, Catalina. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is great. Yeah, it is cold, but you get the full. You know, you have your full thing, your yeah. your full suit on. All right, man. Okay, we did that. Yes. So, um, the the big, really difficult question: What did you have for breakfast? Same thing I have every day: a protein shake and a handful of vitamins. What is your protein shake of choice? I do I, you mix up the flavors? I it's it's chocolate. Um, okay, I've, I like chocolate. I've I've been I'm doing, into it too. I've been doing a program. And this is not a plug for them, but it just <laughs> you asked. Um, I've been doing a program for just under two years called Isagenics. Isagenics. I s a g e n i x. It's, it's, it's a little bit culty, but it's, it's, it, and yes, it's a multi-level marketing scheme and all that kind of stuff. But 
in I, I'm in I'm in <laughs> I'm in deep I'm up to my neck in debt but no but but, yeah, but no but a lot of no I, I actually don't do the business <laughs> no 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 I'm just kidding I, I have no interest I just like I like the idea of you being <laughs> right. like I they they did take they did take out one of my family members yes it's been and I do a difficult a time and I owe them a kidney <laughs> in um, fact if anybody can help <laughs> this is a cry for help a lot of as you know you've worked on movies and stuff sure film production is terrible for you oh yeah like the hours are insane Right, and you know what typically happens is you wrap a anywhere between twelve and fourteen hour a day, and you get off the clock, and you are starving. Sure, and you you don't want to have a full meal because you got to get to sleep and all that, but you got to eat something, and so you end up microwaving a very bad choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? And and, <laughs> and I've I've gone to a bunch of people I knew on film crews who've like lost weight and got into good health, and I'm like, all right, what did you do? And they're like, yeah, it's from isogenic. So basically. I don't want to call it a diet because a diet is like a restrictive thing. It's bas- it's it's just it's a it's a change in how you eat. That's it. So basically, I my daily intake of food consists of two protein shakes and one meal per day. Oh, okay. And that's it. All right. And I mean a couple of snacks. They they have like and like you can get as deep as you want into the isogenics thing. They have their own protein bars, which are legitimately good protein bars. They're not candy bars disguised as protein bars. Right. And and uh, you can do that, or I just eat a lot of almonds. Yeah, you know that sort of thing. And I've lost, I've lost about forty pounds. Wow! In, in just well, now this is why you can see uh, you're a believer, right? I mean, you, yeah. this is working for you. Yeah, that's and then, cool. And then I, uh, you know, so like I've been going to the gym, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. But basically, and what's nice is that I don't have to think about one meal a day. So when I'm working on a movie, protein shake for breakfast, lunch at work. Protein shake when I wrap, and there's, yeah, right. There it is. Yeah. Uh, my wife started doing it too, so it's just easy. Yeah. And we just seriously have to worry about one meal a day. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and that's it changes great. your relationship with food too. Like if if my fork and knife meal isn't good, I get very pissy. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Because I only eat one meal. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get to go kind of big on that meal? You're supposed. It's whatever you want. I yeah. mean, basically, they say, you know, one low glycemic, sensi- yeah, sensible yeah. meal, somewhere between six and 800 calories. Yeah, bullshit. I eat yeah. whatever the hell I want. Yeah, right, right. Um, no, and I would probably, you know, I would probably get rid of that extra 15 pounds I want to get rid of if I was a little more strict about it. Yeah. But right now, it's just, I will eat in this form for probably the rest of my life. Yeah. Because it's easy and, you know, I, I was never on heavy medication, but I'm now on no medication. Yeah. Cholesterol is back to uh, where that's it needs amazing. To, yeah, cholesterol is back to where it needs to be. Blood pressure is great, not pre-diabetic. All that. Although at one point, I was pushing 250. Jeez. And I'm 5'10". I, it's hard to imagine that. Yeah, I was getting really big. Yeah. And, you know, I could still I could still lose another 15. Yeah. But if I hang out here, I'm fine. <laughs> well, look. So that's what I had for breakfast. You're gorgeous whenever well, I see you. Thank you. You're particularly gorgeous now. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I, I dolled up just for you. <laughs> I know you did. Um, all right, man. Uh, how and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? Well, so as is typical, you know, every kid, you know, you're uh, look, I'm, I'm Jewish. And, you know, that was just something my parents told me. Like, you're Jewish. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? They go, well, you don't get to celebrate Christmas. And, you know, you don't wear a cross like everybody else does I like school. That, 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 that they started with, here's what you're not. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you're Jewish. And, like, and it was just one of these sort of amorphous things. Like you're a little different from everybody else. Uh-huh. Um, and you're going to catch a lot of shit about it from people. That's just part of being Jewish. And there are 
okay, I, all right, before we start, everything I'm going to tell you about being Jewish is both right and wrong. That's just the way, you know, we have this expression, two Jews, three opinions. Oh, so I'm going to say things that in some senses are right, and then someone will go, well, you know, it's not really that way. Yes, it, yes. it can be looked at this way as well. So I'm going to say there are three kinds of Jews, which is not actually true, but that's sort of the conventional wisdom. Reform, conservative, and orthodox. Yes. So okay. that those, those are the big three. If we're going in, in the world of taxonomy, those are the... Those are the the kingdom or the, the those are the phyla of if Jew is the kingdom, yes, then the phyla are <laughs> you know uh, are are reform conservative and orthodox. And then you can get into you know family class order genus species. Okay, very good. So, I my father had a really strict orthodox upbringing, which he rejected with every fiber of his being the second that he could. So the orthodox, I mean, that means we're talking dress wear, we're talking uh, women not are... Women. Not He was not Hasidic, okay. but I, and I don't know if he ever wore tzitzim, which are the fringes that people wear all day. I don't think, I don't know if he ever did that. Okay. But, you know, he went to, he had to go to, he had to study the Talmud, he had to go to, you know, Shabbat services. I mean, they kept kosher at home. All that stuff. And he rejected that as soon as he could. Just wasn't his thing. How how uh, early, when he would tell you this, because obviously you're talking, he's relaying to you that at a, as a young man he was going against this. No. No, you're, no you I watched. didn't find that out till years later. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's a, we'll, we'll put a, oh, we'll yeah, circle yeah, back yeah. to my dad because he actually plays a role in how I sort of got back into being Jewish. Okay, good. In a weirdly indirect way. Okay, good. But yeah, it was weird because my father, you know, so basically my brother and I, you know, had a, what I would call a stereotypically shitty reform upbringing. So my parents could say, yeah, we're sending him to a synagogue. But it was a really terrible synagogue. In what that, does that, yeah, tell me. In that, it was just, it was very much by by rote. And, and you know, we never went to Friday night services, you know, or Saturday. We, we never went to Sabbath services. Um, it was just, well, you do this because that's what you're supposed to do. And we knew that there were people who kept kosher, but we didn't have to keep kosher. And we, you know, and we used to refer to the Orthodox as the Meshuganophrom, which means crazy Orthodox. Okay. You know, like the ones who won't drive on Sabbath. Right. So, stuff like that. Right. And, and anybody who went to Daily Minion was like, oh, no, no, that's just weird. And, and it was just, it was this weird. So you almost, were a part of a synagogue that you never went to. We never went to. I went to go to Sunday school. And, right. Okay. And, so and Sunday school, but when you say Sunday school, it's 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 Sunday it's school religious the, education. But it's Jewish religious education. It's Jewish on religious Sundays. education on Sundays. Okay. So they go to Sunday school, where basically they would tell us the same stories, which all boil, which all boil down to a version of they try, you know, they hated us, they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. <laughs> that's that's yeah, most right. major Jewish holidays are a variation of that theme. Yes. Let's hear the same stories over and over again. And, but nothing was ever put into context, like ever. And I was like, okay. So for example, the end of your religious education, at least in reform world is referred to, and it's after your bar mitzvah, is referred to as your confirmation. And I remember when I had our confirmation, everybody was supposed to write a speech about the culmination of their religious education. And I'm like, I got nothing. I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do. Huh. And 
I was one of the few people who actually could still sort of read Hebrew and not be afraid of it. And part of that service was you had to read the Torah. And someone said, is anybody going to read the Torah? And I just shot my hand up. I'd be, yep, I'll do it. I'll learn another Torah portion. Not a problem. So, and again, it's... That's how you win your good graces on not having the speech. Not having to write a speech. <laughs> you read the Torah, you have to write a speech. <laughs> so, you know, so I've read the Torah twice in my life. Wow. Um, at my bar mitzvah and How there, long does it take to read the Torah? I mean, well, to learn the portion, it's like, yeah, to basically memorize it. Because, um, so there's... In written Hebrew, there are these little dots and dashes that go under the letters that are the vowels. The Torah does not have vowels in it. So you have to be able to read it without the vowels. So you basically practice it with the vowels, and it gets to the point where you almost have it memorized, and then the letters become sort of cues. Yeah. And... I mean, a, a typical Torah portion is, oh, it's a couple of minutes. I mean, it's only a few paragraphs. Right, okay. You know, so you've read, when you say you've read the Torah twice in your oh, life. Oh, no, I meant I've read two you, Torah portions. Two in my Torah life. portions in, in front of a congregation. Exactly. A you've been up on stage presenting this correct for the for the service exactly okay exactly it's referred okay. to as the parsha okay. which is the, the weekly Torah portion. Okay. Um, and how many presenters at every. Torah portion. Is there one, 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 yeah, one, just, a, one a service? Just one. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, there are, and in, there's what is referred to as an aliyah, which is someone who comes up with you and, and, uh, set their, because we have a prayer for everything. Like, just like they say in Fiddler on the Roof, we have a prayer for everything. Yeah. There's the prayer before you read, there's the prayer after you read, and, and three, they, they will actually divide that into three. So they divide a Torah portion actually into three parts. So they have three aliyahs um, during that. So, for example, I went to Shul this morning, and I, had, I, I hadn't been there in a long time. So huh. they gave me the first aliyah, which is kind oh, of a wow. okay. kind of a, a uh, did you uh, go because you honor. were coming in today? Was that was that were you like partly inspired because you were coming yeah, in today? Yeah, wow, I had cool. the time because I blew off the gym to do <laughs> to oh, yeah, do yeah, this, yeah, and good. I'm like, <laughs> I kind of have time to go to show. I haven't been in a long time, and I wanted to bring a prayer book with me, which I'm holding here, just yes. in case you ask me things that I don't know. I love this, or that I can't remember. Let the record show he's holding it up. It has both uh, Hebrew and English in it, yes. so I could read it. Thankfully, it's called the Sidur Sim Shalom for weekdays, which oh. is sort of the standard issue prayer book for the conservative movement. So you're like, wait, but you had a reform upbringing. Right, right, right. So what yeah, are you doing ahead. at a conservative no, show? No, this is great, man. This is great. Go. So there are two sort of events that sort of brought me closer to Judaism. The first one is just going to kind of be a bit of just, there's so much backstory. Just take my word for it. Um, I, after I moved from Helsinki to Mexico City, just just take Where were that. you born again? I was born in Boston. Okay. And I grew up in Connecticut. Okay. And then after college I, in Wisconsin, I moved to Finland. Long, boring story of why I moved to Finland. I moved to Finland. Okay. After 10 years, I moved to Mexico City. What, why Mexico what age City? are you at the time you're leaving? What are the 10 years of your life, of your age life when you're living in Helsinki? Basically 22 to 32. Okay. So at 32, you moved to Mexico City. Yes. Okay. And who do I meet there but a nice Jewish girl. Yes, of course. <laughs> and I, because the thing is, I had always avoided Jew, dating Jewish women because they mainly were reminded me of my mother. And right. I love my mother, but not in that sort of creepy, edible way. <laughs> and I, I, and through sheer happenstance, I mean, this was a blind date, basically, a mutual friend said, oh, you're moving to Mexico City. Mexico City, sorry. Yeah, Mexico well, City. You're call, <laughs> Mexico City. You know, you should call my friend Shirley. She's a real estate agent. Maybe she'll help you find that apartment. And that's who I'm married to now. Yeah. Um, so I meet this woman. Let the record, Joe, she's a lovely person. I've met her. 
she is lovely. Hi, Shirley. And so, um, so I'm living in Mexico, dating a woman named Shulamit Hirsch, huh. born and raised in Mexico. Wow. Um, I mean, her father was named Guillermo Hirsch. Wow. Um, there are that's fi- so wonderful. No, I did f- know. Yeah, there are fifty thousand Jews in Mexico City. I, I did know that. That was uh, kind of. It w- I learned this at some point, and it was very surprising to me yeah. because I. I've even asked this on the show of Jeff Astroff at one point uh, that I, I'm I think that you know when you're growing up from my point of view, you you kind of think like so almost all the Jews you sort of get this impression that like almost all the Jews were so they were none of them were left in Israel right. almost all of them were killed you mean in, in Germany. Europe. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, none of them are left in Germany. No, no, I mean, like, oh, you mean this, in Israel. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, almost yeah. like you get this sense that they were all kicked out of Israel, then right. they went to Europe, and then they were all tried to be, they were all, attempt. there was an attempt at exterminating all of them, and then they've, they've all come to the United States. It's right. like, it's sort of this sense, I didn't know much about it as right. a young man, and I, I, as I grew, I began to realize, wow, there's enclaves and, you know, everywhere. communities everywhere, everywhere, because this is what it India, means. India, China, everywhere. This is what it means to be a people that, constantly are on the move. Apparently there's still two Jews left in Afghanistan and they can't stand each other and they won't talk to each other. It's like, <laughs> I love the idea. That's such a stereotypically <laughs> Jewish thing, you know. Okay, so you meet Shuli. So I meet Shuli and, you know, she and her family, you know, she, like, it was very weird because it's not like you go to Mexico and they're like, oh, you're a fellow Jew. Great. Welcome to the community. They're no, who are you? Why are you trying to infiltrate our community? It's a very closed community because there was a Jewish community in Mexico because they all had to flee Eastern Europe, you know, as things were getting bad. And the U.S., fun fact about U.S. immigration history, U.S. had a Jewish ban. Wow. From, really? I don't know the exact dates, but sort of like the mid to late 20s. Wow. Um, until 1945. Wow. So the only reason Shuli isn't American is because when her family was fleeing Eastern Europe, the, the U.S. wasn't letting Jews in, so they went to Mexico. Man. I mean, that's how, that's how the Latin American community... That's a lot of them. Not the one in Argentina. Argentina is a slightly different story. Um, that's basically how the Jewish community in, in Mexico uh, came to being. So Shuli made me sort of more aware of my Jewishness, not really on a religious uh, – in a religious sense, but in terms of like, no, this is who you are. You need to identify with that. And and I, it was a little weird, but I sort of got a little more used to it, you know. And so we, so I just became a little more aware. So when she, was she a conservative? She, is that part of what happened? Is that you you met this? She was a practicing. Yes and no. Yes and no. Her father was was more religious, and actually they went to an Orthodox shul. But she but she went to a secular Jewish school, the Yiddish the the Yiddish school of Mexico, Yiddish shul in Mexico. Wow. So she had to take Yiddish and Hebrew, but it was a secular school for Jews. So she had a culturally Jewish upbringing. She understands some of the stuff about religion. Um, okay, so yeah. listen, we have to take a break, but there's a couple of things we're going to get back to because this was lovely. This gives a lot of a broad perspective. I got history, I got educated, but we got to get back to your dad. We got to figure out why it means something that you left your sort of what you didn't have when you were young that she helped you discover. We're going to get back to that right after the break. Uh, see you all in a second. All right, everybody, we're back with Hopper Stone. So, Hopper, so do you want to get to your dad at this point? Because I, I feel yeah. like I feel like I don't understand 
it feels like what you're saying is you were shielded a little bit from the orthodox upbringing when you were younger, and you didn't really have even like a guiding Jewish sort of religious force. Your father really didn't impart that at all to you, and it doesn't sound like your mother really did either. You had the cultural stuff, but you didn't have the religious stuff. Correct. And so you didn't have any burden of any of that. You kind of just lived as whatever, an American that yeah. like has it a just certain... just happens to be Jewish. Yeah. yeah. And there's no kind of religious ident- identity with it, right? Not a, not, a, not not a religious identity in the sense of 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 God and spirituality and, you know, they're like... Were oh, you interested in the questions when you were younger? I and mean, were you doing like other searches or... Well, I mean, searches, like, I mean... Because I mean, we're talking about... I think what's interesting here, I think what I want to get at, I want to make sure I understand, is that most people I talk to have some stronger impression of their first 20 years of life than I feel like you're delivering. I feel like you're sort of saying, yeah, you know, like I had, there was maybe you suffered some, pre- you sort of hinted at being like sort of some prejudice of being Jewish, maybe. a yeah, little bit. But, but I mean, I, it did, it, I found it annoying, but I'm, I'm like, why are you picking on me for that? Like, yeah. I don't, basically I'm like, why are you picking for that? I don't really care. Yeah. It's just you're born Jewish. There's nothing you can sort of do about it. Right. You know, you can become a Buddhist and you're still, then you're then still a Jewish Buddhist. Yeah. You know, right, um, right, 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 right. But, but I didn't have, or Jubu as they like to be called. <laughs> that is funny. I've um, never heard that. But they, but they. Don't. That feels very well for like the modern day. Like boo is like a thing that I hear. You know, like right. your boo. So like Jubu feels like that would really work today. Yes. Hashtag Jubu. Hashtag Jubu. Um, yeah. No, it was something I really didn't pay much attention to. And and I would say I'm Jewish, and people would ask me questions. I'm like, I don't know. Mm. So Shuli made me more aware of sort of the cultural aspects of being Jewish. And then, and then where it really got to was in, at the end of 2014, my father, I'm going to say unexpectedly passed away, but it's not that he was young. It's just that, I mean, he was 85, which is a perfectly sort of acceptable age to sort of be in that mindset. The thing is, is that his mother lived to be 97, his mm. grandfather lived to be 98, and he was fine. And then all of a sudden he wasn't fine. And my brother and I flew to Florida and we had to sort of babysit him for five days while we just literally watched him die. Okay, so time out. Which is pretty... How many siblings do you have? Just one. One older brother. One older brother. And are your parents together at this time? Oh, God, no. My parents split up in 1975. Okay, so you're... And they never remarried? My father remarried. And it was his wife still his, with him? His, his wife his was still wife? with Yes, his second wife. I mean, they were together longer than my parents were okay. together. So, and where was your mo- where is your mother? Uh, in where does she live? She de- she passed away actually two years ago. Okay, um, well, I'm sorry. She well, was as you're being as you're so she's in New York. Right, she was in New York. My father and my stepmother lived in Florida. Okay, okay. And so we fly into Florida and just basically, you know, babysat my dad till he died. Yeah. Um, wow. Which is and we what did he die of? What happened? He uh, the official. The official uh, diagnosis was cardiomyopathy, but basically he had an, it was called an aortal valve stenosis, hmm. which he left unchecked because he hated doctors and his, his, la- his last doctor wouldn't treat him anymore because he was too, he was too combative hmm. and he wouldn't find another doctor. Wow. And he started having these sort of cognitive episodes and we were sort of wondering about that and trying to do something. And then, and then it turned out that what it was is that the aortal valve stenosis impaired the circulation of oxygenated blood to his brain, which is, which is why you'd get these, de- these episodes of dementia. Wow. And then, and then it just, it just spiraled very quickly into his heart gave out. Okay. So, so when he died, I was, and and I had, I had a, 
shall we say, an interesting relationship with my father. We didn't really become friends until I was older. My father was very wise, but he was, he was described to what I call the um, Socratic method of child rearing. You know, he was, a, he, he was a lawyer. He's like, you want a cookie? Great. D- defend your cookie. Why should I give yeah, you a yeah, cookie? Yeah, question like, after question. And I'm like, because I'm six and I like cookies. I mean, <laughs> you know, and my, my, uh, there was a reason I don't have children. And this is going to sound like I'm bashing my father and I'm not. But one of the, as- one of the characteristics my father had was he simply did not understand children. I literally walked in once. He, he and, my, and my stepmother were babysitting my niece, and she was one and a half, two years old. And I walk in, and Margaret, my niece, is sitting on the, is sitting on the floor screaming like a banshee. And my father is in his recliner going, what? What do you want? Tell me what you want. If you can't articulate what you want, I can't help you. Wow. And I think he was only half kidding. Wow. So, and I'm kind of the same way. I just don't understand children until they until they become real people and you can have a conversation. And my father was very much that way. Does it make you uncomfortable? Yes. Does it make you full of like anxiety <laughs> being around them? Or is it more like you just, you sort of, it's not like... It's uncomfort. It's discomfort, but it's not. That I just you're... don't know what to do. Yeah. So I just remove myself. Yeah. And, okay. And you know, I it's, it's it's just the way I am. And I didn't. And my my father was a good father in that you know he prepared me. The Talmud says a parent's job is to prepare your kids to get out into the world, and he was a good father in that sense. And we always had, you know, a roof over our head and money in right. our pocket and clothes on our back and food on the table. That was never a problem. He was not a warm and fuzzy guy. Yeah. We became. F- friends as adults and his father at what age like how old are you because your life is like you're so you're so all over the place somewhere in my 30s okay so you're like post helsinki you're living in mexico city how long did you live in mexico city two and a half years and did you take shuli back with you then no you guys come oh god no no. okay so that's a longer that's a whole other thing so 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 you come back though after your time mexico city when you 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 fall in love you come back though to the states i came back to the states shuli and i had actually broken up at that point it was a lot of a lot of on again off again back and forth like every terrible romantic comedy where they finally end up together (laughs) yeah i mean we've only been married we've only been married for 11 and a half years okay okay so okay you come back and you start developing this relationship with your father on a new level yeah you know he used to have to come out here on business a few times a year and we sort of get to know each other and and you know he was not a big phone talker so we'd only talk on the phone a few times you know like maybe every couple of months but a little bit of email and he was involved tangentially in the entertainment industry he was a he was a lawyer more specifically on the commercial side so he, he sat on the screen actors guild um um, the pension fund board of trustees and stuff like that. Okay. So he used to come out for board meetings, and we, just, we, we were we were we were good. We were we were we had a good. I learned to ex- I learned to stop being upset about the things he was not, and just accept him for who he was. Yeah. And I liked who he was, and I just stopped expecting him to be something that he was never going to be. You know, that was a big... I mean, I spent a lot of my 20s having fights with my father in my head. Yes. Uh, <laughs> just in my head. Well, Never that, with him, just in my that's head. That's a very common thing, yes. right? I mean, the things that incite you in your life, you know, whatever. You look around, you see somebody that reminds you of something, or you have a moment yeah. where, yeah, that, that those things can happen all the time. I have those. My wife has those. Everyone yeah. I know has those. Yeah. And that's you trying to, like... it's. But you never had a fight with him directly. You never really a took cu- it up, took it up directly with him. We had not direct. We had one big falling out when I was in. I was probably thirty, thirty one, and a big, big falling out. I just, I was living in Helsinki at the time. I just didn't call. I just didn't call. This is before email. I didn't call him for probably six months. Wow. And then about six months later, he calls me. and goes, I haven't heard from you in a while. Okay. And I, and Let's I'm just like, past just. It. 
okay. And I just let it go. Yeah. You Do you know? mind if I ask what the subject was surrounded or uh, regarded or it doesn't have to be? What, what I'm doing with my life. Yes, yes. Kind yes. of thing. And he sort of out of nowhere said this really weird shit that like, I'm like, you don't know me, do yes. you? Yes. You know, and, and it was that sort of stuff. Hey man, right. Yeah, yeah 30 happens. or whatever. Yeah, that's, those are, these are, you're, you're standing up for who you are at that yeah. point. And was your brother um, combative with your father? No, my brother was very much my father's son, and I was very much my mother's son. Okay, okay. So you know? you're very... so, And I know we're going to get back to your dad yeah. and the moment in Florida, but but I also kind of... I want... I find myself wanting more context with... So your mother, they divorced at a very young age. Yeah, I was... I mean, I was 13. And she never remarries. Nope. But you're very close to her. Yes. You remain very emotionally close to her for oh, yeah. your whole life. Yeah, I was always my mother. I was always my mother's son. Okay. Always. Okay. That was just the way it was. Okay. You know? And even when, you know, since she died a couple of years ago, you know, my brother and I had a very strict division of labor. My brother could, like, because he lived in New York at the time where my mother lived and I lived out here, I'm the one who could actually talk to her on the phone every day. Mm. Sometimes for actually quite a while. My mother was a big phone talker. Mm -hmm. um, or when she once had surgery and I flew into New York and I could sit in her room for eight hours a day and talk to her. It wasn't always the most comfortable thing, but I could do it. It was like my weird superpower. Yeah. My brother, I think, would have rather put an ice pick through his ear. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> don't get me wrong. My brother loved my mother. Sure. And it was close in his own way, but it was just... But on the other hand, he could... You know, he could take her to the hospital. He could deal with doctors. He, we had a very strict division of labor. And my division of labor was I could just deal with my mother. Yeah. You know, because she was a character. She was, there was, there was stuff to deal with with her. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're, so you, in 2014, this, this tragic surprise. Yeah. And in 2014, my dad dies. And by the Jewish ritual is, you know, you bury quickly. You bury, you're supposed to bury within 24 hours. So basically, you know, like within an hour of him dying, you know, my brother and I are at the at the hospice facility and we see a van pull up and out out comes, you know, out comes the the stretcher with the, you know, with the with the body on it and he's being flown up to Massachusetts and wow. we got to get our shit together and fly up to Massachusetts and, you know, he he's buried within we got him buried within 2 days. Wow. And but then the whole morning ritual started. Morning M O U R. Yes, yes. Morning ritual starts. So the Jewish morning ritual is divided into, depending on who dies, generally three parts. And everybody's heard of sitting shiva, which is you know it literally means seven. It shiva means seven. So you basically you mourn for seven days. And and what does that mean? Like, what should you not? What shouldn't you be doing while you're mourning? Pretty much anything, right? Um, Is it kind of like doing Shabbat for seven days? Sort of like you shouldn't get on your phone, you shouldn't be leaving, you should just be staying. Oh, in your even home. more! Like you stay at home, you cover the mirrors, you take all the pictures off the wall, you you wear you you're not supposed to wear leather. Like there's all these all this weird shit that you're like you know you and people come and they visit. And you are, you're not required to even acknowledge anybody who says, who comes in the room. You're just there to just mourn and just, that's wow. it. So, but, the, but before you, you could so, acknowledge, but you could also, but you just, don't have to, you don't have to, um, you're actually supposed to be served. You are not supposed wow. to get anything for yourself, but basic, but so the thing is, is that, and this is, this is what I sort of learned from my wife and, and how this gets into it is that what I learned from my wife is do your best. 
And when you die, and if you get to, if there is a heaven, and if there's a God, he'll tell you what you missed. Huh. But, you know, don't be a dick. Do your best. But that, that's the great thing about being Jewish, is that we don't, there isn't this fear of, if you do things wrong, you will burn in hell for, you know, eternal damnation. Right. There isn't. It's right. like, this is what we do. And the great catchword in in Judaism is, in my community. Well, in my community, we do things this way. Oh, but in my community, we do things this way. Eh, it's fine, as long as you're doing something. Yeah. So when, so we buried my father in Massachusetts, which is where he was originally from. We actually have a family plot. My great-grandfather got a deal on a, on a plot during the Depression. <laughs> I shit you not. Amazing. So we actually have a family plot. <laughs> and and the, I, was, I was devastated. I was just shaken up because I, I, this is my first really serious death in the family. Sure. You know, and, and the, the rabbi in, in Needham, Massachusetts, where we, where we buried him, was really a wonderful guy. And he didn't know us. Like, he didn't know us. He was the sort of the, I think my, 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 fa- my uncle, like, sort of arranged the funeral arrangements and all of that. And that was the, the synagogue we, we, we went to. And I didn't know the guy. And he was really wonderful. He was very comforting. And he gave me a book called saying Kaddish hmm. and 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 it's about the Jewish morning ritual and grieving in a Jewish way and before I get into details of what it is what I liked about it and and this was what was very appealing to me is that in the midst of all of this and you don't know what to do the ritual of saying Kaddish is it's a it's a ritual with a set of things you're supposed to do and a timetable and then when you're done you're done Hmm. And you are not only encouraged, you're required to put your put your mourning and your grief in a certain place and get back out into the world. And it's okay to laugh at a joke. It's okay to enjoy yourself. It's okay to live your life not forgetting about your parent because you've honored them and you continue to honor them in your own way, but it's okay to just sort of stop grieving. Mm. And that was very appealing to me. Mm. So the ritual of saying Kaddish is, it's, it's actually, it's 30 days for a sibling, a friend, or a spouse. For a parent, or God forbid, a child. Of course. It's, oh, a, my, my it's, goodness. It, it, dude, a friend of mine's kid just died. It's oh just, it's awful. Um, I can't imagine. Unexpectedly, too. Horrible. Um, um, 11 months. It's actually, it's 12 months, but it's 11 months if this was a righteous person. And who are we to decide who is righteous? So it's 11 months. Hmm. And so the first seven days is Shiva, where, which is like the heavy morning. You just, you stay at home. And, and again, you can do things sort of in your own way. These days, some people do it in three days. Some people don't do it at all. It's whatever you choose to make it to be. So I did it, you know, basically. So I'm sorry, a, I have to ask something. Yeah. Is it, it, it's 30 days for an adult. Yes. It's, did you say it's ele- 11 months? 11 months for a parent, for a parent for a or parent. God forbid child. Okay, okay. See, so, I but see. it's divided into three parts. First is Shiva, which is the seven days. Uh, and that's typically where people come around and they bring you food. Um, you know, and you're supposed to go to what, wow. what, what is called Minyan twice a day. A Minyan is a quorum of Jews. Traditionally, it's supposed to be 10 men who have been bar mitzvahed. Sometimes it's 10 Jews, some people count women, some don't. So they, they, Sometimes it's not 10. It's, well, no, it really is it supposed to be. It has to be 10. It's supposed to be okay. 10. And, and that's re- happening every day. And that's, it's twice a day you're supposed to do it. Wow. I did my version of, you know, I would go in the mornings. 
And some people do it actually at the Shiva house. It's referred to as a Shiva minion where you, and that's, it's considered a good deed to actually go to Shiva just to be there in case they need a 10th. Yeah. Wow. You know? And I've done that. I went to a friend of mine's mother died a few weeks ago and I showed up and I was number 10. Wow. So then, so there's that, there's that. And then there's the Shloshim, which is 30 days during which you're allowed to sort of get out of the house and you can wear leather again and you can sort of slowly get back to your life. Um, but you're still, you're not supposed to groom. Like, so for example, you don't shave, you don't get a haircut, you don't cut your fingernails for, th- have you ever not cut your fingernails for 30 days? No. It's fucking awful. It's, it's, I mean, by, by the time I was getting around to, you know, 20 days, I would shake people's hand. I go, I'm very sorry. It's a Jewish thing. Don't, you know, pay it, you know. Wow. Don't. And so when 30 days came around, I mean, I went, I went to a barber and I had a, I had a hot shave wow. and I got a manicure and it was like, it was a day when I could stop thinking about my dead dad. And then the rest of the time, you know, I would the go. The next to, 10 months. Yeah. I would go, I went to, basically I went to Minion in the mornings, Monday through Friday, if I wasn't working. That was my version of saying Kaddish. If you do it in the full-blown religious way, it is twice a day, no going out, no socializing, no dancing, no music. Like you can't go out to dinner, you can't go to the movies. No, I mean, it's it's hardcore for 11 months. And the idea, and, 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 and the idea is, is like, you mourn hardcore and then when you're done you're done yeah you know and what I like the thing I like about Minion is that you the thing is that there's a prayer for the dead you say called the mourner's Kaddish and you can only say it in a Minion Hmm. can't say it alone just not allowed to I mean you know is God going to strike you down no of course not but the idea is that it forces you to be out amongst people yes so so and 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 to not just wallow all the time and again, I, 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 the first time I went to Minion, you know, I show up to this place, Temple Beth Am on La Cienega, because I literally Googled Minion near me. And that's what came up. It turns wow. out it's the longest running lay Minion in Los Angeles, going for 30 years. Wow. And of course, they see a new face. And I explain. I said, look, I don't really know what I'm doing, but my father died. And they ask all these questions. Where are you in your, you know, and I said, well, today's actually my seventh day of Shiva. And so, and I'll, so I get a little choked up at this. No. I'll never forget. Like I went to Minion for the first time. And at the end of it, you know, everybody came and gathered around me and the rabbi, Adam Klingfeld, wonderful guy, Adam, you know, came and, and said this sort of, you know, these words of comfort that they say to the people, people in mourning, and then officially told me to get up. Wow. And then, um, and then you, what you do is when you're done with Shiva, those seven days, you're supposed to go and take a walk around the block. And this group of strangers that I'd never met went and walked me around the block. And I, and I will, I will never forget that, that it's just, it's a community thing. That and so I just these were my minion buddies. I went every and that's just it's here's your uh, have a reintroduction to the world. Yes, again. get back out into the world. Wow. And so I started going Monday through Friday in the mornings, and really eclectic group of people. Josh Molina's dad goes there, and you know that sort of stuff. Wow. And it's just it's a it's an interesting group of people, and they they found me amusing because I made no secret of the fact that I'm not particularly religious and I don't keep kosher and I refuse to go to shul on Shabbos because that is my, that is my day of rest. Yeah. I absolutely refuse to go to shul on Shabbos. Like that's my day off. <laughs> if yeah. I'm going Monday through Friday, nope, Saturday's my yeah, day yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I remember asking one of the guys there, I said, I just want to make sure that people don't think I'm making fun of them 
like, so what's the, like, I, I, look, I don't believe in God. I don't keep kosher. I don't go to show on Shabbos. And he says, let me tell you a story. I don't remember the name of the Jewish writer. It wasn't Philip Roth, but it was someone like that who would go to Minyan every morning. And his son goes, dad, what are you doing? Why do you go to Minyan every morning? You don't believe in God. You don't keep kosher. You don't go to shul on Shabbos. Why do you do this? And he goes, you know, everybody's got a different reason for going. Look at Ginsburg over there. Ginsburg goes to, shul, goes to, goes to Minyan because he likes to talk to God. I like to go to Minion because I like to talk to Ginsburg. <laughs> okay, that is beautiful. Yeah. We're going to take our break and we'll be right back for our I Can't Believe It Already. Uh, it's our last segment. Wow. Uh, I'll see you after the break. All right, we're back with uh, Hopper Stone. It's our last segment. Um, and you wanted to finish, uh, you wanted to jump off on another thought about what you were just finishing up about Minion, about community. Yeah. So what it really, the thing about Judaism, people always ask me like, well, is it a, is it a religion? Is it a culture? Is it a race? Is it a people? And the answer is yes. <laughs> so, and I remember asking my father when I was younger, because my father's brother, my uncle Harris, is has always been a little more devout. Like he can, he can speed read Hebrew. He knows all the rituals. And I always ask my dad, I'm like, well, you had the same upbringing. What, what, what's, what's the difference? And he said, well, Harris always had faith. And I, I, I don't. And that was like a light bulb went off in my head. Because huh. what it really comes down to is I can't get my head around faith. I, I envy people. I actually do, and I know you're not supposed to envy people, but I envy people who have faith, yeah, who can really just believe in God. Why? Why do you envy? Because they there's a pillar that they have, and they don't question everything. I question everything. Where where in your life are the questions detrimental to you? Do you think they're not detrimental? But if I'm gonna, it's it's just weird being a faithless Jew. Hmm. Like it, it, I, it makes I, you uncomfortable around other Jews. You sort of express this a little bit in, with Minion. You, you felt like I don't want to be, I don't want to feel like I'm coming across. I would try, your words were like, I don't want to be feel like no, I'm no, making fun of them or yeah. disrespecting them. Yeah, it makes me a little uncomfortable around around Jews who do have faith. But then again, the, it, that's the nice thing about the conservative movement. Like I really like the conservative movement because they're like, eh, you know, eh, close enough. As long as you're here, eh, close enough. You know, and you get into interesting discussions. And I mean, I've spoken to the rabbis and the people there, and they don't really care that I don't believe in God. So when I when I have discussions with them, and even when I read the the, the prayer book, the Sidor, I treat God sort of as an intellectual exercise. Huh. Like, okay, well, if there was a God, and if this God that we're allegedly praying to, and they were asking from these things, I guess, okay, this would be, you know, the thing. But I mean, you know, gun to my head, do I believe in God? I'd have to say no. Um, I mean, I and and I know saying you're agnostic is really wishy-washy, but you know. You yeah, can't. well, you and I were talking about this. Like, I I think I'm not sure, I'm not sure I've explored truly. Be, to be honest, I'm not sure I've explored enough to truly say I understand the breadth of maybe what a true agnostic, like a very thoughtful agnostic, would where they draw the lines. Mm -hmm. But I, t as you and I were talking about before the show, I I just have found that it seems it. Wishy-washy is a sort of negative way mm -hmm. to say it, but it's also it just feels like it leaves open a door to, to 
to multiple things where I'm not sure why I need to leave open a door. If I've already gone outside of believing in a God, why then am I saying that, you know, why do I have to say maybe there is a God? You know, why do I have to, why do I have to make my belief that maybe there's a God or maybe there's not? Like, why do I, why is that comforting to me? I'm not, intellectually, I don't understand that necessarily. I'll tell you that because I think it takes just as much faith to say, I know there isn't a God. Mm. As it does to say, I know that there is. Mm. Yeah, so like I, that's also right. that's also no, that's a true. tremendous amount of faith yeah. to say, I know there isn't one. I, I don't know. Right. This is it. The answer is I don't know. Right. And and that's the literal definition of faith is to not know and to just believe. Yeah, I've always. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I I like that. I feel like I guess the way I've sort of coming in, I've come into, uh, you know, uh, atheism is is to be a non-theist. It's not to say that, like, much of that is anti- it's anti-God, but most of it is often anti-religion. Absolutely. And so then you start getting into splitting hairs about, like, what the word God means or how you interpret things that are spiritual or divine in your life without right. using the word God, which is very, right. you know, loaded. Right. So, no, I mean, I think this is good. I think, I think what I'm expressing is that personally, I probably need to explore more about what the definitions of living in an agnostic sense would be or how you categorize yourself as agnostic. But right now, it feels like what it does is it, I think for me coming out of my history is it doesn't allow, I don't feel like it allows me enough of, of a criticism of, I feel like it's kind of acritical also, you know, it's yeah. part of what it is. It's totally acritical. And I'm not sure that's something I'm comfortable with at the moment, but that's just me. Oh, I'm super comfortable with that. Yeah. Because the th- I mean, the thing is, it's what it, what I like about it personally is I can just sort of get on with my, I mean, basically I, when I talk to people who do believe in the God and they go, well, what guides you? And I'm like, not being a dick guides yes, me. Yes. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't need God to tell me not to be a dick. Yeah. So I, I just, I don't know. I, my parents raised me right. And I, I like to, I like to think that I'm sort of a critical thinker, but since these are things that like, since is there a God, is there not a God is truly unanswerable. Mm -hmm. I just stopped trying to answer it. Yeah. I think (laughs) that's really what it comes down to. See, I guess I feel like, I feel like that, I I don't want to get too far into the weeds with this, but I do feel like there's something that the, the circles cross over each other with atheism and agnosticism in ways that I feel like sometimes that same comment is atheistic. And I'm not sure, because I think atheism can be, you know, defined as we've talked about by like the heavy hitting, like Christopher Hitchens. Right. They're the militant atheists. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Right. But then there's other versions of atheism where I feel like there's a divinity that's acknowledged and divinity is almost too much, but a wonder, right? The Mm -hmm. wonder is something that's easy for anybody to sort of acknowledge. And in that you can acknowledge, there I'm very comfortable saying, I don't need to define, and I'll agree that you can believe in wonder. But agnosticism goes as far as to say that Jesus may be the Son of God, right? Agnosticism goes to say, you know, God may exist, Jesus may be the Son of God, could be reincarnation, could be all those things. Yeah. And you're just kind of stepping outside. And atheism goes a step further. Could be that the Hindus are right. I don't know. Right, right. Okay, so that's good. I think that that's what I'm getting around. And that's where we're talking about boundaries with those two things. And I'm not sure if I'm comfortable there right now, but I don't know. Um, That's a good agnostic answer. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there you go. So there's something I wanted to get back to um, about your dad. So you talk about your dad being such a 
impressionable moment, right? Mm-hmm. This is a huge catalyst for you to embrace Kaddish, to embrace what led you to all these beautiful ways back into the community is this tragic event of losing your dad. Mm-hmm. Which is the way a lot of people get back into Judaism. I yeah, find. yeah. A lot of people sort of like, yeah, a parent died and I needed to do something. Yeah. And it helped that my wife, you know, is, my wife was, my wife was comfortable in a Jewish household. Like she, she would do, she would do things I didn't even think of that just make you feel better. Like she would cover the mirrors and she would just, she, she was, she had more of, of a, of an upbringing of how to do these things. And it just makes you, it just makes me, it, I wasn't, I wasn't alone, which yeah. was nice. So actually when my mother died, my, my um, Shuli, my wife was actually out of town. She was in Israel visiting her kids. So I was really alone. So, I, but I, at least I had a little bit of experience so I could do it. You so know, you did it all again, right? For your did, mother. Did it all again. Wow. But I mean, and the thing, and the thing again, the nice thing about Minion was, look, when I, when my, my mom died, I took, I mean, she was sick. She was super sick. It okay. was not, it was that mixture of relief and sadness. So we went, we buried my mom, my brother and I had to empty out our place in New York. And then I came back, came back here. And I'll be honest, for a solid month, I, I'd get up in the morning I, I'd get up in the morning, I went to Orange Theory Fitness, and then I would go to Minion, and then I would smoke pot and watch TV. Mm. And I did that for a solid month. And it was kind of awesome. I mean, I knew this was not a Let long, your fingernails grow again. Let my, I did the whole thing. Let my fingernails grow, didn't shave, did all that sort of stuff. But I basically smoked pot and watched TV for a month. But if I didn't have this thing of, oh, I have to get up and go to Minion... I probably wouldn't have showered or brushed my teeth for a month either. Mm. Like, it's like, no, I have to at least get out, go be amongst a community. Some people will come for me, have this ritual and this timetable and this schedule. And there's a sound to the chanting and the prayers. And, and there's a whole ritual. You put on a prayer shawl and you wrap these leather straps around your arm and one on your head. And I mean, it does look very culty and weird. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's this thing that you do. And it's funny, we, we laughingly refer to it as getting dressed, huh. you know, and, and then I could do whatever I want. And then I could, then I could go home and I could wallow, but at least every morning I had to set an alarm, get up, shower, brush my teeth and go to me. You didn't work. You stayed, you stepped outside all that stuff. I, Did yeah, you I cancel work, work then at that? No, mean, do you have no, to, no like... I, I knew I had a job starting at, right. I, I actually knew I had a job starting two months later. No. So I, I spent a month doing that and I'm like, well, I can do this for another month. But instead I went to, I went to Israel and visited my wife and our kids and new grandkids and all that stuff. Right. And then, you know? and then 10 more months of going to Minion. What? Or Monday, going through, Monday through, through Friday, Friday if I wasn't working. But for <clears> example, and this is the nice thing is that like I, I went, I did a movie in Budapest and I happened to have a morning off, you know, because, and so I, the largest synagogue in Europe is in Budapest. And, and they, so I went to Minion in Budapest mm. and they're like, who are you? And I explained that I was saying Kaddish for my mother. And of course the prayer book was in Hungarian and mm-hmm. Hebrew. So mm. it was very hard to follow. But one guy very kindly sort of told me, you know, help me along. And you can go anywhere in the world. You can find a Minion. I think there's actually an app. Where you can like find a minion anywhere in the world yeah, if you need it. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's amazing that it's part of the culture, the religious part of the Jewish culture, that you under for those that are understand and still participate in the religious culture, that they're wherever this is like a service that all Jews are ready to provide for other Jews, is that I will be one of those ten for you if you need someone right now. Yeah. Absolutely. It's <clears throat> an amazing um gift that is just like a sort of open 
It's an amazing place for communion among strangers. Yeah. Um, and because and we are a diaspora, like there is no, you know, after right. the second temple is destroyed, we are a diaspora, the entire religion. There is Spread no all Vatican. Over the world. We're all That's right. we're everywhere. There is no main temple. Right. We're everywhere. And you'll see minions in airports. You'll see, you know... Anywhere, and it, it doesn't. Ha it has to be at a certain time. It does not have to be in a certain place. So there's, we only <laughs> have some time left. I we have enough to, to ask, but I, one of the things I wanted to ask is like, did you find that your morning was active in that? So I understand that you you could. I imagine you could take on a, you could do the the rituals of this and sort of just take on a facade of mourning, right? Mm -hmm. You sit, you're watching TV right. or smoking pot or whatever. But you're also probably meant to be actively mourning. And I'm wondering, did you, did you find yourself during those times really reflecting on your relationship with your father? Or did you, or did you, did you, did you find certain thoughts that through the experience of performing the ritual, did you find yourself going deeper into understanding what those relationships were? And did you put things to bed so that, you know, when you woke up out of it 11 months later, you really had actually done a deep, uh, the, the ritual had you know, because people talk, right? Is it is it the is it the emotion that brings you to the ritual, or is it the ritual that can bring you to the emotion? It works both ways, right? It works both ways. And so for you, you're performing the ritual, and what you're probably experiencing is a psychological or emotional thing that you weren't quite aware of. Like, oh, I'm going to have 30 days mm -hmm. to sit and think about this. Absolutely. Did you did you find yourself actively engaging? Did you find yourself pushing it away? No. Did you I find was... it coming up at times? Oh, no. You... Act I, absolutely. I actively mourn because, yeah. like, this is my 11 months to mourn. Right. This is it. How, because what, once you're done, you're you're what, supposed to be done. And actually, it's sad, it's kind of sad when you're done. A lot of people get very sad. Like, they don't want to stop saying Kaddish. Right. Because you're, you're mourning. And also, it's... Because you're... It's, cause you're your your the person you're praying for is is or mourning is kind of alive to you as you're mourning exactly right and then but then there are still there are, you know but then you still you you know you go to minion uh, what's referred to as yard site which is the yearly anniversary um, so I still go to minion on yard site okay and there are actually four services the, the anniversary the, of the day they died of the day they died okay. by the Jewish calendar so it varies every year. Um, there are certain services throughout the year that are called Yitzkor services where you remember the dead and you're supposed to give. And also the Jews were big on giving charity. You're supposed to give charity in the dead's name and all that. But what it does is it just, it helped me put things, it helped me put everything in a place. Mm. It let me, yes, actively mourn. You know, because look, you never stop. I mean, I think about my parents every day, but it's in a place. And I feel like I've done some, I, I feel like I did some work towards mourning. Like I, I'm, I'm in touch with a, a photographer I know in New York who's, whose father passed away a few months ago and he's still just really struggling with it. Mm. And I feel bad. I mean, Jews don't do everything right, but one thing we do really well is death. So I love that <laughs> um, in the sense that I love, it sounds like you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hearing this, it is, I gotta say, very compelling. Uh, there's something super, I found it very therapeutic. Yeah, it, it sounds that yeah. way. And um, I was ready to be done, and I was ready to kind of live my life. Right. And I didn't feel like I was disrespecting anything. Right. I like that somebody places a time period. This is how you do it. Yes. You know, because that this is the big question. When do you let go? You know, um, it, 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 you guys have designed, you know, the, the culture and the, relig the religio culture of Judaism has designed... It should be about a year. Yeah. You get one year of really doing it and mm -hmm. then move on. Right. You don't move on. You just put it in its place. 
Because, you know, good. Honor thy mother and father. Yes. Right? Is that not like first command or Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's not the first, but yeah. Somewhere in that yeah, first yeah, yeah. five. And I don't think it's the first oh god. No, it's not the first. It's, it's, no, it's, 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 it's no god before me, it's, right? It's 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 yeah, first first one's no god before me, but it's in the first five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First five are how to behave, and the second five are things you're not supposed to do. Right, I don't know if right. you ever noticed that. Say that again? The first five are, th- are the way you're supposed to behave, uh. and the second five are things you're not supposed to do. Oh, that's good. I'm not sure ever, I've ever heard it broken down like that. That's that, great. It is that kind of that Yeah, that's good. Um, so, so we only have a couple yeah. minutes left. I'm sorry. Did, I, did you no, have a... Th- no, I, I wanted, no, no. We only have a couple minutes left. Um, do you... Uh, have you found yourself embracing in afterlife in a way through this experience that that maybe you would have never kind of like allowed yourself to sort of believe in before. You know, there's the, there's the way we live with the memories of the people that have died. You know, I've, I, I would, you know, a little knock on wood there, uh, for sound. Um, (laughs) but I, I, you know, my grandmother, my, both my parents, thankfully, but my grandmother, the one I was close to is gone. And Mm -hmm. I think of her and it's hard for me to even believe sometimes that she's gone, right? This is the nature of death. Like it's hard to even believe they're not there. They feel so alive in my brain. Do you feel that they live beyond, you know, um, and this is obviously our kind of going away question here, but do you feel like you have a, a deeper connection or a somewhat like the afterlife is somewhat closer to you through this experience than it would have been before? Or? I don't know about an afterlife because I'm not sure I believe in one, but, yeah. I, but I do sort of allow myself, well, if there is one, yeah. you know, then yes, I'm doing this for my mother or my father would be laughing right now. You uh-huh. know? Like we, we, there's this family, this closely guarded family recipe of a type of cookie that my mother used to make that actually her mother you know talked to her and you know it's like I and, and even to this day like I couldn't imagine giving that recipe to anybody and you know my brother and his girlfriend had a um fourth of july dessert party so i made these cookies uh-huh. you know and I gave the recipe you know to my brother I'm like just in case you don't have it because it can stay in the family that's right, fine, right, right. no one else gets it um so like little things like that like I'll do something like I could have made anything, but I made these you know, for my mom. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. And, or I'll do something and I'll think my dad would get a kick out of this. Yeah. You know, or every so often I will find myself just kind of looking up. Yeah. I don't know if I believe it or not, but it makes me feel better. Yes. So I, I do it. I, I get that. And You're that, not and the that first is, person to talk about that And that, that is either. one of the great things about being Jewish. It's, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a very sort of like, yeah, here's a bunch of rules. Eh, do the best you can, but mainly just don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Hopper... I- <laughs> I don't feel like I asked more than five questions. I feel like you came in and you you had this lovely story to tell. It was really beautiful. I learned a lot. I'm really, I find it very compelling um, to have a structure for this type of morning. I'm going to mm-hmm. think about that more in my life as, you know, I'm thankful that, again, that I've, most of the people very close to me are still alive, but um, there's something really compelling about it. And I mean, the things my parents died, like sort of at the ages they should. I mean, I've been very fortunate that I've never had like that sort of kick you in the nuts grief yeah. that you're not supposed to have. Like, you know, a child, a, 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 a sibling too young or, or even a spouse, you know, too, you know like it's all. And the thing is, though, is that. I was at that age where, like, my parents died. Oh, by the way, my, you know, my father-in-law died three weeks before my mother. Yeah, And my wow. stepmother died two months before my father-in-law. Wow. Like, it was called it the cavalcade of death. And then, you know, people in my age group, everyone else, like, oh, my father died, my mother died. You know, it's just, it comes in this wave. And no one prepares you right. for that. There's going to be a period in your life, I hate to tell you, 
where like, you know, your parents, let's say, you know, are going to go at the age they're right, supposed right, right. to go. Right. And all of your friends at the same, like all within, right. a, you know, a couple Five of years. Two, yeah, yeah. Right. And it's, it's tough. No one prepares you for that. Yeah. And I've just found that What's nice in the Jewish – look, a friend of mine's mom just passed away. Again, at the age she was supposed to pass away. But you know what you're supposed to do. You yeah. know what you're supposed to say. You know where you're supposed to go. You just know these things. And and because this is the other thing I learned. And this is, the, again, the nice thing about having prayers and a ritual and all that, that when someone close to you dies, there is nothing – anybody can say right like if someone says you know like when my dad died if someone said oh my father died too i i i know how you feel I'm like no you don't because it is it is a ve- there is nothing more personal than the death of a parent and everybody's relationship with a parent is unique you know and and no no one knows how i feel and i don't know how anybody else feels and that's generally what i have learned to say when someone announces that a a a well, parent or relative has died. I just simply say there are no words, and then may their memory be a blessing, which is a very typical sort of Jewish thing to say. It's just yeah, like, and it seems like this ritual gives it gives a comfort to both sides yes. to the people that come to comfort and the people that are there that need to be comforted. Yeah, both people know how to perform and act in a totally impossibly solvable situation mm-hmm. um and this is where we have to say goodbye man oh, but man. i mean this is this has been really beautiful <laughs> i mean i really love it and thank you for coming in and going deep on this reflection man i really appreciate it and thanks for having me man this, um, was, this was really really fun yeah it's really interesting all right and thank you all for listening <laughs>